So, again, we've been going through Acts. We're, we're finishing up chapter 15. But what's happening, where we're at now, is the Gentiles are, are starting to come into the fold. They're starting to be a part of the church. And some of the church is having a really difficult time trying to figure out what that means, what that looks like. Some of them have made a decision that, you know, you, you have to be circumcised, you have to follow the law. But what we've really, really learned is, is some of us, all of us as a matter of fact, come together and we all, we all have strange doctrines. We all have things that we have to work through. And it's the same thing with the Pharisees, the same thing with the Gentiles. If you go through Paul's letters, you'll see that the Gentiles had some kind of weird ideas. And so they needed guidance. That's why you know, God gave the church um, teachers and pastors and so on and so forth. So we're really, really trying to learn what does it mean to bring people in that we're not used to having come into the church? What does that look like? Do we demand that they act a certain way or dress a certain way? And, and that's really what we're going to be going into today. Um, but before we do that, let's go ahead and pray. Holy Father, again, thank you for today. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you, Father, for your word, for the example of what we should do today, because again, you know, as Foursquare, our key uh, scripture, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So help us, Father, to lead, be led and guided by your ways and not ours. In Jesus' holy name, amen. So we talked about last week, um, the, the church came together with the elders and the apostles, and they're like, okay, what's the deal? Are we going to demand these Gentiles follow the law and be circumcised? Do they have to become Jewish in order to be saved? And they finally come up with this conclusion that, no, you don't. They gave them a few rules, said, hey, you know, don't, don't eat blood, don't eat anything that's strangled or sacrificed to idols. And there was, there was mainly because they don't want to antagonize their Jewish brethren. Um, but now we're going to see that the elders and the, and the apostles have now sent out Paul and Barnabas and a few other people with this letter. And we read that letter last week that says, hey, we never gave you this instruction to be circumcised. You are saved. We can clearly see that. You have the Holy Spirit within you. Um, this is all that we ask of you to do. And so now Paul and Barnabas are going to present this letter to these Gentiles. And if you look in Acts 15, 30 through 31, let's see if I can get this to work. Huh? Don't aim it at the screen. How about I do that? That doesn't work. Huh. Hey. Cool. Acts 15, 30 through 31. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered this letter. When they read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. So I wanted to stop there because here's the thing. Can you imagine what the Gentiles were like? You know, they had this dispute and then, you know, Paul and Barnabas and the leader say, okay, we'll be back. We're going to sort this out. Hang tight. We're going to go see what this is about. 
And, you know, we didn't have, you know, obviously they didn't have, like, cell phones. They go, hey, Peter, um, do they have to be circumcised or not? <laughs> so this took a while. They had to go back to Jerusalem. They had to gather everybody up. They had to talk together. So the Gentiles are sitting there. Are we saved? Are we not saved? Oh, my gosh, what does it mean? Do we have to follow the law? Do, you e do we even know the law? What does all this mean? What are we supposed to do? And then finally they come back. Finally they come back and they say, okay, everything's fine. The door is still wide open for you. Salvation has come to you. Don't even worry. There's no need for circumcision. You don't have to follow the law. You are safe and secure in Christ. And they just thank God. Amen. Hallelujah. They're rejoicing. They're excited about this. They finally can move forward with their faith. But here's the thing. Here, here's what begs the question. Why, why circumcision? Why was that such a big deal? Why are these Pharisees are willing to die on this hill? Why that? Well, if you really, really look, why, why would they put these Gentiles through this? If you really look, here's the, here's the introduction to, to circumcision. If you go in Genesis 17, 10 through 14. I don't know why it's not working. There it is. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who was born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who was born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of the foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. This is the mindset of the Pharisees. You cannot have covenant with God without this. It says it in the Bible. This is why they're so adamant about this at the very end. If you're uncircumcised, you are cut off. You can't, you can't have relationship with God if you do not have this. The Pharisees are continuously, but God said, but God said, but God said. You have to follow the law. You have to be circumcised. And they're even saying, even these believing Pharisees are like, okay, great, these Gentiles can come in. But again, it even mentions foreigners. Even those, you have to be circumcised. You have to do this. They're breaking the covenant. They're going to be cut off. We're not following the law. But again, they're kind of forgetting. And, and we, we, we tend to do this sometimes as believers. We have a new covenant we have this new transition now and again this is what these believing gentile or these believing pharisees are forgetting in mark 14 and as they were eating jesus took bread blessed it and broke it and gave it to them said take eat this is my body then he took the cup and he gave thanks he gave it to them and and they drank from it and he said this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. 
See, the Pharisees are forgetting who they're believing in. Again, realize these aren't outside Pharisees trying to mess with the Christians. These are supposed to be believers. They've put their faith and trust in Christ. But they still have this thing. They're forgetting how far and how much Jesus accomplished on the cross. They're missing the fact that the old covenant was really just a placeholder until the new covenant can come together and fulfill all things. They're also forgetting a simple fact in Romans 4, 9 through 12, which, which Paul later points out. And again, Romans is, is addressed to Gentile believers in Rome specifically. And it says, Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised? For we say that faith is accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted, while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision, that those who are not only of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. These are the rules that they're forgetting. See, the, the covenant of circumcision was given, to, was given to Abraham, but again, they're forgetting the fact that it was accounted to Abraham of righteousness because of his faith before the law, before circumcision, before the temple, before all of the religious trappings that were later imputed upon the Jewish people. Because that was the core thing. That was the point of Abraham. God said something, and Abraham said, okay, I believe you, I'm going to go do that. And that was the basis of everything, so that Abraham is the father of all who are of the faith. I believe you. And then Paul, throughout his letters, you can, you can see up there, he continuously refutes and puts this issue into proper perspective. Because this is, again, an issue that keeps getting brought up throughout the early church. And so in, in Romans and Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians, he keeps bringing this back into order. But it all boils down to, again, the Pharisees are saying that God is a God of the Jews. He made covenant with the Jews. The Messiah was a Jew. So in order to fully come to salvation, you, of course, must become Jewish. We've talked about that. That is still a thing today. You have to be Jewish. You have to still wear the tassels and the yarmulke. You still have to remain kosher. You still have to do all these things. But let's break it down even further. What this is, is a group of religious people demanding others look and act exactly like them. You have to talk like them, dress like them, be like them, in order to truly come to Jesus. And the message that they're giving is the doors will not be open to you until you meet this criteria. 
But the problem is, is if you really, really walk with God, if you really, really know Him, if you really understand who He is, we're trying to get as many people to Jesus as possible. And what we're doing is trying to get rid of every stumbling block that might get in their way. Remember, again, we talked about how dangerous it is last week, about how unbiblical and dangerous it is to put up a barrier between anyone and Jesus. But again, even today, you know, we're not, you don't see very many churches, at least I hope not, demanding people be circumcised before they start coming to church. (laughs) But we're still shutting the doors and bringing barricades in. And typically, typically, it's, it's of a good intention. We're trying to protect ourselves from the evils of the world. We think of church as a fortress, that there's all this evil and bad, and so we're going to be here, and we're going to clump together, and we're going to lock the doors, and we're going to make sure no evil gets in here because this is the last bastion of righteousness and goodness. But in doing so, again, we're working in contrary to God's will. People need to hear about Jesus. You know, Jesus said we're the salt of the earth. Salt is a preservative. You take that away, things rot even faster. And you know, the, the other day, you know, I, I work for the disabilities company, and I had a coworker of mine. And you know, everybody knows Danielle and I are pastors, and we, we talk a lot about church and different things. And he actually told me, you know, he's like, I, I can't come to church. I'm not pure like you. <laughs> now, I mean, maybe it was an excuse. You know, I was talking about one of the other things was. He made a joke, and I said, yeah, you know, come on to church. And he goes, well, you know, if I come to church, I'll, you know, I'm so evil, I'll probably just start speaking in tongues and crawling around the ceiling. And I was like, well, we're a Pentecostal church, so it'll be a normal Sunday for us. <laughs> but, I mean, it could be an excuse. It could be just, you know, he just doesn't want to. But, I mean, that's really kind of the message that, that we're putting out there, that we, we're the holy, we're the pure, we're the, we're the righteous ones, and, and, and we've got to shut the doors and make sure that there's no evil or, or wickedness within us. I mean, let's take in a very extreme case as an example. This has been in the news. This has been going on for a long time. LGBTQ community. Now, I want to ask you guys a question. What do you see in that picture? Most churches will look at that and say, that's, that's the evil, that's the wickedness in the world. Look how, look how rotten the world is now. They're in front of God. This is an enemy that we need to fight against. Right? How can people do this? How can people dress like that? But again, church, we need to remember... Scriptures say we don't fight against flesh and blood. And these guys look like flesh and blood to me. Those are a group of people that maybe 
are looking for identity within themselves. They're just looking in the wrong spot. They're looking for love and acceptance. They're just going about it wrong. Maybe they need someone to tell them that they can find their identity in Jesus who loved them, who created them in his image. Now again, don't mistake me. I'm not getting up here. We're, we're not going to become that kind of church where we just need to be tolerant of LGBTQ ideology. We just need to be okay with it. That's just another lifestyle, you know, just bring people in. I am not, absolutely not, saying we should accept any of this. But what I'm saying is, is for anyone who's trying to look for meaning and identity and love and grace and mercy, which is everything that we proclaim Jesus is, then the doors need to be open to them. I don't even care if they dress like that. If they say, I, I just, I want to know I'm empty and I'm alone and I'm hurting. I don't know what to do and I'm confused. Come on in. And why do I say that? Because Jesus himself said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. People are messy. We all don't have our crap together. I mean, show of hands, how many of you like got cleaned up, knew exactly, had it all figured out, and then you came to Jesus? If you raise your hand, you're a liar. <laughs> of course not. You don't get cleaned up and then come to Christ. You come to Christ to get cleaned up. Is there sin in people's life that need to be dealt with? Absolutely. But that's the meaning of repentance. It's realizing you're going the wrong way. Now you need help. You need Jesus' help to turn away from it. There's not one person who's had that experience. Every single one of us have needed repentance in some form or fashion. All ethnic groups, all backgrounds, everybody... All are called to come to this particular repentance and faith in Christ alone. Isaiah 49.6, indeed, he says, It's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. To restore the preserved ones of Israel, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Again, look back. I can guarantee you guys were complete and utter disasters before you knew Jesus. Even at the beginning of your faith, you probably made some mistakes. You got a lot wrong. But was the door ever shut to you? So again, I'm going to be real blunt here. Who the hell are we to do the same thing to somebody else? Come in here. You want to know about Jesus? Get in here. Come talk to us. I don't care who you are, what you look like. The doors are open to you. 
listen, I, and again, I want you to know how far this goes. I don't, again, I don't care if someone is draped in the, the gay flag in full drag regalia and says, I want to know the love and forgiveness of God. Each and every one of us collectively should point straight to the cross and then get out of their way. Let them come to Jesus. Now again, don't mistake this message. Once again, this isn't seeker-friendly. This isn't water down the gospel to just bring people in. I just don't want people to come in and just be tolerant and accepting of all kinds of sin. Sin is still sin. Everyone is guilty of sin. God has called homosexuality a sin. It is against the nature and design that he created us for. Jesus is still the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And yes, we do absolutely need to be careful, and we need to take precautions, because everyone who comes through this door will not all have benevolent intentions. I mean, there was a church in Taft. I mean, they had really, really great intentions. But they made some mistakes in opening up their doors. It was Episcopal Church in Taft. And it started with them. They opened up their building, and they were feeding the homeless and just kind of letting them come in and have a, a place to eat and a place to you know, get warm or relax or whatever it was. But what it turned into is this just complete open-door policy, 24-7, 365, all that stuff, whether people were there or not, the doors were just open. And that church got ransacked. I mean, stuff was stolen. The bathrooms were destroyed. There was things taken away. There was people within that congregation that got taken advantage of because they just were like, whatever, here, come on in. And now that congregation is, is basically, it's, it, last I heard, it's completely scattered and it's not functioning. It's now just a building. So I get it. There's a reason why Jesus said we should be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. But what I am saying is that this place, we need to be a haven for the lost and the broken. For those who realize that sin has left them empty and alone, and now they have no idea where to go. I mean, again, sin is heavy. It is a burden to carry. It's binding. It's confining. It's oppressive. And that's why Jesus completely says, come all who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Okay, we were bound in sin and death. It may not look like, you know, Clark didn't wear dresses before he knew Jesus, as far as I knew. <laughs> but just because your sin looks different from somebody else doesn't mean it's less oppressive. And that's why Jesus came to give rest, to take that particular burden away. And that's why our Jesus did, and then we should again imitate him. Stretch out our own hands and say, I get it. I've been exactly where you are, but you don't have to carry that burden anymore. Do you know how much 
mental illness and depression are among the LGBTQ community. On top of the fact that they're trying to, you know, they're confused and they're trying to figure things out. And then for whatever reason, even their own parents just utterly reject them and say, you are on your own. You are not my son or daughter anymore. Can you imagine the stress and the pain and the heartache that they're going through? That maybe within the church, maybe their pastor or their church family pretty much said, you're evil and God hates you. Get out. But we have to come back and say, wait a minute, let me tell you about the one who saved me, who didn't tell me to get out. I mean, again, I spit in Jesus' face. I did terrible things. I committed evil. And yet the door was once again still opened up to me. But once, even if they say that, even if they say, yes, amen, I want to know Jesus and all that stuff, now the real work actually begins. Because now there's a process. It's our job, just like the disciples, look in Acts 15, 32 through 35. And after they stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. See, again, the disciples didn't ask the Gentiles to change anything outwardly. They didn't ask them to do any of that. They simply stayed and began to build up the church. So again, remember, there's the go and tell people about Jesus part of the Great Commission. But then there's oftentimes we forget the go and make disciples of all nations and co command them to obey Jesus' words and to do what he said to do, part of the Great Commission. You know, when I, when I first became a believer, I went to a Baptist church, and their slogan was, come as you are, see what you become. And again, it, it really helped me. I, I mean, like a lot of people, like we talked about, there was so much mess and confusion and chaos in my own life. And then now I knew, you know, I accepted this Jesus, and now I'm kind of a little bit confused, and I don't know what that means, and what's right, and what's wrong, and, and how do I live this life now? And it was really good to know that I can come to a place, I can come to a group of people and say, hey, um, I have this garbage fire. Uh, help. <laughs> what do I do with it? And they just graciously came along with a fire extinguisher and went, shh, let's figure it out. Let's get it sorted out. And believers just, they came around me, they, they lifted me up, they, they patiently and lovingly kept pointing me back to Jesus every time I kind of messed up. I learned more and more, became more and more equipped over time, and eventually God even just called me away from that church. So again, we can put a lot of effort into people, and then sometimes God says, okay, they're ready now, time to move on. Sometimes. But they did what they were called to do. And because of that, I found my own calling as a pastor. Now it's my turn to fulfill what Paul was talking about in Ephesians. 
He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some teachers and pastors for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. See, again, here's the circular pattern. Even if you're not a pastor, even if that's not what you're called to do, you get called to Christ, you get built up, you get equipped for ministry, then you turn around, you call people to Christ, you build them up, and you equip them for ministry. That's not just my job or Danielle's job or any other pastor or leader's job. That's everybody's job as believers. But we're here to help. If, if you're talking with someone and, I'm like, and you're like, I have no idea what to do, they're asking these questions and I don't know, can you please help? Then we're all here for everybody. But we're called to lift and build each other up and meet them exactly where they are. Again, don't be shocked by the outward appearance. I mean, look at this mess. I mean, just meet them where they are and they go, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him. And you say, well, you got to put on shoes first. Or you got to stop doing this. And again, I always talk about this friend of mine who was strung out on drugs, who was homeless, and all he had on was a backwards hat, a tank top, swimming shorts, and flip-flops. And it was, you can tell, he hadn't probably bathed in a month. And he walked in, and no one said a thing. All they said is shook their heads shook his hand, said, we're glad you're here. God bless you. Come get a cup of coffee. Come have a seat. There's something I can do to help you. There's something we can do for you. We love you. We care about you. And he, to this day, he says, that's the reason why I kept coming back. You didn't mention anything. You didn't even say how much I stank, and I know I stunk. I looked awful, and you didn't say a word. You, all you told me was, Jesus loves me. And here, let's try to help you find a job, or let's try to do this, or let's get you cleaned up. You messed up again? You've been gone for a month? Well, man, we are glad you're back. It's good to see you. Church, the doors need to be open to people. We need to have room to be able to make a mistake. I'm going to make a mistake. I make mistakes all the time. Danielle will probably keep a record she can tell you every mistake I've probably ever made. But church, we need to be open and say, come back to Christ. That's the difference between Peter and Judas. Judas had the opportunity to repent and say, Jesus, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. Forgive me my sins. And Judas would have been just one of the apostles, just like that. But he didn't. He tried to go figure it out on his own. Peter, on the other hand, said, I can't believe what I just did. And then when he encountered Jesus, he's like, oh my goodness, I've made a mistake. And Jesus just lifted his hand and said, come on back. And reinstated him. And look at what Peter did. Now, can you imagine? Oh, Peter, nope, you messed up. Door shut to you now. I mean, Christians, we're the ones that shoot our wounded for some reason. Pastors mess up. How many scandals and problems and issues that the church has had and we just completely shut them out. We, we disavow them. We, we talk about, you know, there's like 40 YouTube channels now that talk about the evils of that particular pastor and I always knew he or she was like that, blah, 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 blah. When they just made a mistake. Now, if they're not repentant, then no. 
You know, don't, don't allow them to be leaders again. But if, if they recognize and understand, then we need to be lifting up each other. Saying, yeah, I make mistakes too. Come on back. Let's figure this out. Let's sort this out. And then there was one last thing in the last part of this particular chapter I wanted to point out. This part is, is a little bit long, so just kind of bear with me. But in verses 36 through 41. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they departed from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So here's the thing. Paul was completely animate. He didn't want anything to do with John or John Mark. It seemed the disagreement stemmed from, in, in an earlier chapter in Acts, we see that Paul and Barnabas and John Mark are all doing this ministry together, and for whatever reason, John Mark says, I'm out. I got to go. And that just didn't settle right with Paul. For whatever reason, whatever happened, he didn't like that. And so because of this disagreement, Paul and Barnabas split. They go their separate ways, and then there's no scriptural evidence of them ever working together again. However, you do still see in his letters, Paul shows respect to Barnabas. He often, he off, more than once, addresses him as an equal in the faith. He still addresses him in a loving and respectful manner. So the last point I wanted to make is not everyone is going to be perfect. Not everything is going to be perfect. The early church wasn't that hippie utopia where everything was wonderful all the time, and if we just acted like them we would be great and wonderful too. There was personality clashes, major disagreements, and people departed from one another. I mean, it's, it's the same thing for me personally. Don pointed this out. We're an interdenominational church. We're supposed to be partnering with other churches and working with other pastors and so on. But I'm going to be honest with you, there are some pastors that just Mm. we rub each other the wrong way. But the difference is, is it's not about me or that particular pastor. It's about Jesus. And I'm fairly certain that I probably rub people the wrong way just as much. But again, that's, that's really the miracle of everything. We can still consider each other the one church and have mutual respect for one another because, again, it's not about my personality. It's not about, hey, that person irritated me and made me mad, so now I'm going to make sure that I completely decimate their reputation and nobody likes him or her. It's about, okay, you just, we just don't get along, but Jesus still binds us together. And so it's not about us. It's about Christ and doing his work. And that's the miracle because God can still work and move through imperfect people and imperfect circumstances. He still does his work.
So again, here's the deal. Like that church's slogan, come as you are, see what you become. Come in here, repent and find faith and forgiveness in Christ Jesus. The church is a haven for the lost and the broken. Here you will find rest and peace, mercy and the love of Jesus Christ because that's the only one we're here for. You're not here for me. You better not be here for me or Danielle or anybody else, only Jesus. And we're a family of imperfect people only made perfect through Jesus. Our identity and hope is in him alone, not by any law that we can fulfill, whether it's scriptural from the Old Testament or something that we just made up to make us feel righteous. My righteousness is only from Jesus. End of story. And then let us continue to lift each other up and build each other up and edify one another so that we can continue to build the kingdom of God through Christ Jesus and through the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit. And then I have one last verse while the worship team comes on up here. And it's really, really short. So the only time I, I take Paul's cue, the only time you can imitate me, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So if I'm following Christ, then you follow Christ. I might stumble, I might fall, I might make a mess of things, but as long as we're all pointing to the cross, we're all heading in the right direction. So let's pray. Holy Father, Again, I thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. I thank you, Father, that you didn't shut the door on me, that you were a patient, loving, and kind Father who takes his time and and delivers me. So, Father, help us to be just like you. Help us to be patient. Help us to be open to whoever wants to come to repentance and knowledge of Jesus. Give us wisdom and discernment because people are people and they've they've got sin and so people are going to come in here with malicious intentions or disrupt things or cause problems. Give us wisdom in those circumstances. But first and foremost, help us, Father, to proclaim Christ to whoever comes in here, whoever comes in our direction. Bless those who don't know you and be with them. Help them to know who you are. Father, like that co-worker that I talked about, bless him, help him to find his identity in you, to know you and know your love. Because we are a grateful people who are so amazed that we found the love of God through Jesus. Help us, Father, to share that. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Mm-hmm.